This episode of Truce Table is brought to you by Truce Table. By Truce Table, Black women's musings on life, love, and liberations everywhere where books are sold. Online, in the stores, at your mama's pop bookstore. Go buy our book. Everywhere. Period. And the Christian Standard Bible. And Faith Life, the makers of Logos Bible software. Faith Life uses technology to equip the church to grow in the light of the Bible. Learn more about Logos Bible software at logos.com and follow Logos on Instagram and Facebook. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Team, midwives of culture for grace and truth. We're Akimini and Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. How y'all doing? On this episode, I'm flying solo, which is kind of unusual for us to do that. But I have the real pleasure of interviewing Dr. Monica Coleman. I believe you're going to be enriched and edified and challenged by this conversation that you'll be listening in on. She's the author of Bipolar Faith, an author as well as a theologian. I think you're going to really be intrigued and convicted by what she has to share. So join us as we explore her new book, Bipolar Faith. Well, hello, everyone. We are here at, at the table today with Dr. Monica Coleman, and she is the author of, of, many, of many things and many works, but we're going to focus on her book, Bipolar Faith, A Black Woman's Journey with Depression and Faith. And if y'all know anything about me, you know that I am completely dialed into this conversation today. And, uh, and this, this book that is so beautifully written and so honestly written, um, you know, Monica, you are a great storyteller, and <laughs> so I, I felt like I was showing up at your at, at your grandmama's house. Like I felt like I was there, um, and so I'm so excited to introduce you today to our audience. So welcome to you first. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. So to the people listening, let me tell you a little bit about about Monica, but I'm also going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself to you, maybe what she would want you to know <laughs> beyond what is kind of in our scripted bios, right? Mm-hmm. So Monica Coleman is professor of Africana Studies at the University of Delaware, where she works with projects in public humanities. She was named one of Sojourner's 10 Christian Women to Watch in 2018. Coleman's writing covers Black and womanist theologies, Indigenous spirituality, mm-hmm. and religious pluralism. She speaks widely on mental wellness, navigating change, religious diversity, and advocating for survivors of sexual and domestic violence. Uh, Coleman lives in Wilmington, Delaware currently. So, but that's, that's, that's what's scripted. But tell us who you are, Monica. Introduce yourself to the truth table people. Um, well, those things are who I am. I guess they're what I do. That's and, right. And <laughs> um, I guess another thing I do or part of my calling right now is I help people who are questioning their faith to find a new way to believe by teaching a framework for navigating change. And oh, wow. um, so that's something I'm really excited about and I'm doing through a number of different projects that we can talk about later. Otherwise, uh, I also think of myself in terms of my relationships. So I am a mother. I am a daughter. I am a friend. Um, I am a sister. And I think it's the mothering that takes up all the time. <laughs> I'm also, of course, a mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, 
I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's almost, that's almost like that's something you do. That's like a way of life. Everything <laughs> else fits around that. Yes. That's right. That's right. I, I really resonate with that. Well, well, thank you so much. And thank you for an opportunity for us to really, to get into your story and to, and to get into this book. Now, I know that you've been asked this question many times before, but you haven't been asked it on Truth Table. <laughs> And as I as I read the book and as I like let certain portions of it simmer, I thought about just how kind and gracious of you to share your story with me. <laughs> I mean, I took it personally, like as a stranger, I was like, wow. And it wasn't from the standpoint of like, oh, this is salacious. No, no, it was just, it was a gift. And I think when people extend their story to you, it is indeed a gift. And so tell us a little bit about why you decided to give this gift, and if you even think about it in that way, um, I don't know that I thought about it as a gift, but I thought of, I wrote it because it's the book I wanted to read. Right? I read other memoirs about living with depressive conditions, and I couldn't find anything that sounded like my story. Right? These a lot of them are written by white women, which is fine, but it's a different experience. Nobody yeah. seems to be religious, which I also <laughs> thought, well, that's kind of weird, at least in my world. <laughs> And that's a big part of the story too, right? And for me, I read memoirs because I'm like, I need to know that someone made it to the other side. So that Mm. helps me know I can, but I couldn't find anything like my story. So I wanted to really, you know, I wanted to tell a black girl's story. You know, I wanted it to sound like a Gen X black kid. I wanted it to um, Mm -hmm. talk about faith and all the ups and downs we go through with that. I wanted to kind of a little bit of a critique of the Western medical system too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Kind of always say it's a lot more complicated than taking a pill. I'm not against yeah. medication, but it's not yeah. like brain chemistry, take a pill, you're better. Like it's right. more complicated than that. Um, and so, I, you know, those are the things I kind of wanted to share because those are the things I would have needed to read. So I think mm-hmm. it was very a, a gift to myself or a gift to like younger me. In some ways, yeah, 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 yeah. No, abs- no, absolutely. It, it, the the thing about it is, as I was reading it, I thought to myself, my interpretation, the way that you unpacked your story, the way that you and you took us, whether you wanted to or not, I was, I felt like I was walking along the story with you. The way you took us along this story, um, and you did it in a way. I mean, I, again, I'm a former trauma therapist. I've heard many accounts and read many, many books and have had my own experiences related to my own mental wellness. And I, as I read it, I thought there's a way in which you are providing both detail, but it's not salacious. And I don't know, if, I don't know if you get the, the, the tension of what I'm saying, but um, I, f- I felt there was such a, there was such a candor, but there was not an exploitation or a caricature of of you of others that you even talk about and so but i i also thought about the way in which you offer to us the story of different layers of your family that your in terms of your lived experience but also historically so talk a little bit about your process of of gathering that information but also kind of the emotional gathering of not only sharing your story but the story in which you're connected to other parts of your family system oh it's a great question uh, I wasn't, I didn't have to like do research particularly. These were things I knew or came to know over time. By the time I was writing it, I knew them. And these were not uncommon stories in my family that weren't known, right? I wasn't revealing big secrets in that sense. These were things that people in my family knew. We might not talk about them, but we knew them. <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't like, oh, here's the big reveal, right? From Monica in that sense. 
Um, I did, I was hoping to help people try and feel what it felt like. I don't know if I succeeded, but I wanted to, sometimes I wanted to convey like, this is what it feels like. Um, so you didn't feel like you were watching me perhaps, but that you were, you know, kind of walking along with me because that's what I want when I'm reading a book. I want to get involved in the characters' lives. I want to feel like I know them. I'm like, what's going to happen next? Right. (laughs) Um, so I was trying to do what I like about reading. I don't know if I succeeded, but that was the goal. Um, but, you know, in my head, there are good guys and bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they're heroes, they are villains. And mm-hmm. when I wrote it, I was like, oh, I have to write this like the people I know are reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them were, and some of them were not. And of course, that required a little bit of maturity to say there really aren't heroes and villains, right? People are complicated. People mm-hmm. are usually doing the best they can with what they have. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's definitely not enough. And sometimes mm-hmm. the effects of that are abusive, but nobody's like yeah. all bad and nobody's all good. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really the lesson I learned in trying to write it as well as I could was that, you know, there aren't, there are no bad guys. You know, there are people who clearly I would like to say are bad guys. And I think it's clear from the story, yeah. like, no, this is not a person we like. Um, but then I also tried to show, well, how did this even get started? How did we even get involved in this? Right. Um, to show that nobody's right. All you know, little angel or little devil on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And that was a good lesson for me. I will say that. And Mm -hmm. as I wrote it, I had a narrative in my head. um, that I think also people, some people kind of reinforced that I went through a lot of challenges and didn't tell people. And as I went back over and began writing it, I'm like, no, I did tell people. (laughs) So that was helpful for me to be like, Mm. There are a lot of things I keep to myself or sit on, but I did I did tell people, but sometimes people didn't understand or didn't believe me mm-hmm. um, or I didn't have the language that people might have now in the 80s. Right. <laughs> to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to explain it as acutely as maybe today's, you know, middle schooler or teenager might. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I did tell people. And so for me, that was really helpful, even in my own healing to feel like, oh, I was just holding on to this and I'm part of my the reason for my own suffering to be like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, the adults were not doing the adult job sometimes mm-hmm, and, um, mm-hmm. and largely because adults were not equipped to do those kinds of jobs at that. Point. No, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's ve- very fair, very gracious of you, <laughs> as you, as, as you, as you even describe that. I think there were parts where I, it's like, I wanted to insert myself in the story and say like, Hey, stop it. Or like, <laughs> or like, Come on, Monica. Let's get out of here, or you know, or something. Um, oh, and and I imagine that may have been your 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 narrative too. But you know, it's not the question you asked. I didn't answer is mm-hmm. you know telling a story that's my story, but also someone else's story, right? And this is something that you know has been you know a, a topic in my family before. Because this is not the first thing I've written where I've talked a bit about what's happened in my family. And it doesn't always go over well. So I'll be clear about that, right? There are times when people have said, you know, but that's my story to tell. And I'm like, but I was there. So it's my story too. And so I'm not telling it from your view. I'm telling it from my view. And so sometimes I had to assert, like, even if I was a child, I was there. So it's still my story, right? It's a story from my point of view. And so- then they're like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so sometimes it was like, no, this is my story. I'm not telling your business. I am telling my story. And you have a perspective, but it's just, it's just the same story, but they're different perspectives. Yeah, and yeah. other times, uh, in some parts of my family, did not like everything that I wrote. 
Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't say it wasn't true. They just said, we wish you hadn't written it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I wish it hadn't happened. <laughs> right. So um, I feel like that's, right. that's the wrong response to be like, you know, you shouldn't be telling people is not mm-hmm. is not the healthy response. Right. It's, mm-hmm. It'd be one thing to say that's not true. Um, mm-hmm. But they know it's they know it's true. Right. <laughs> no one's mm-hmm. denying the veracity of some of the things I've written. They just said it's not nice. I'm like, you're right. It's not nice. I mean, I, I agree. Some of the things are not nice. Um, but I think it, I like to think um, that I've tried to not portray anyone as completely great or completely horrible. And mm-hmm. the better response would have been like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry that this was an experience that you had. Right. Not don't tell people because it's not nice. Like, you know, there's yeah. that wonderful Anne Lamont quote that I'm going to put. She says, you know, if people wanted me to write better things, they should have been nicer right, or something. <laughs> Right, 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 right. You had your opportunity right. as I as, as I was as, we, as I was taking these things in. No, but you're so right about just vantage point, right? And so you have, you know, you have offered to us your vantage point through different stages of your own development, right? Uh, the way that you were experiencing your external and interior world. Um, and one of the things I think that that I, I found so striking is the portions in which you would share, uh, I guess, kind of pieces of your journaling to really capture. Uh, your internal world and your external observations uh, throughout different portions of your life. So that's a, I think that's an added almost uh, kind of historical piece <laughs> to, to this book, your own history uh, that you offer. And I, and I think to your point, um, you know, I, I often say on, on our show that there, there is enough grace to tell the truth. And there's, there's something uh, amiss, I think, for, with, within our family systems when we are, we're more concerned about an awareness uh, or light being uh, shown on an issue than the way in which it has harmed or impacted someone within the family system. So, um, so this, this story, which is yours, reaches back generations. Uh, so it does have this kind of multi-generational, um, and, and I would even think about like epigenetics as I was reading it, yeah. the ways in which trauma impacts our bodies and our our relationships, et cetera. So talk a little bit about the reach back and your decision to go back to the grandparent, great grandparent generation and to bring that story uh, before the the listener, the reader. You know, I think personally, I feel connected, right, to the generations before me. Um, You know, I grew up with my grandparents, so they don't feel far away to me. You know, and I heard about their childhoods. So even though that's now what early 20th century, it didn't feel far away to, away from me. So I know I'm reaching back generations, but I was like, oh, well, these are just the stories of my people. These are the stories of my family, stories I've always heard, some of them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because it was not a central part of the story in one iteration of it. And, you know, you edit things. And as I was editing, I was like, oh, this is the story. Um, and I don't know if it was a conscious decision, but I think I wanted to say that that was part of the it's more complicated than, you know, commercials let you think it is, right? That if you experience slavery and sharecropping, and war and poverty and migration, you're not okay. Like there's like you're to, no one would be okay. So it's say, not that, say say that again, Doctor Monica. You, the we, the the we right. are not okay. 
it's like nobody would be. So right, right. quote unquote mental illness isn't an aberration. It is the result of stuff, of crap, you know, yes. that are some of which is particularly African-American, but some of which is just American, you know, That's is right. the story that our our people have lived through not mm-hmm. that many generations back, right? Like I am like, I feel like I'm just a step out of slavery, right? If my grandmother mm. was raised by a formerly enslaved African-American, I'm not right. that far from it, right? So I feel like that's not hundreds and hundreds of years ago in my mind. Like that's right. this is who shaped her, right? Mm-hmm. And she shaped my mom who shaped me and she also shaped me. So mm. I feel like, of course, you know, our, my grandfather's generation was drafted into war. You know, mm-hmm. my father was in the military because that was the only way to pay for college. And, you know, these are not atypical stories. So, That's of right. course, you don't come back okay. Of course, you're not fine. And no one's thinking, how do you feel when you're thinking, are there holes in my shoes? Right? Mm-hmm. Am I terrified of the job I have to do? Am I going to be able to protect my children from the kinds of you know, slavery and lynchings and poverty that I have known, you're not like, mm-hmm. how are you feeling today? Right? It's yeah, not that yeah. you don't care about your children. It just, you can't get to it if you're trying to survive. And right. what that leaves us with, right, is, you know, trauma. And it leaves us with, um, you know, what we would now call mental illness, but, you know, just people not being okay. And right. I think it's, good that we're now in a time where we can begin to name that and heal that. And Mm -hmm. that's something that my grandmother didn't have a chance to do in those explicit ways. She found ways of healing and ways of thriving, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but in very, you know, different ways. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Dr. Monica, I'm going to, I'm going to lift up a short paragraph of your book. (laughs) I'm taking this from a page from Akemini, my co-host who loves to read authors, uh, books back to them. <laughs> but but I'm going to lift up a portion of, of something that stood out to me. And I think, again, the way that you capture um, mental wellness and mental illness and offer to us this very um, thoughtful um, snapshot, um, I, just, I just think is a real gift uh, to myself as someone who was a former trauma therapist, but to people who, just people in general, um, it's, it's an absolute gift. So I'm going to lift this up so that we can simmer on it a bit. And then I'm going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get into this quote a little bit more. Okay. Okay. So this is early on in the book. I mean, we're talking about barely uh, three chapters in, and it opens up uh, a chapter called The Mask. Mm -hmm. Depression was my secret. It was the thing I said in whispers to very few people, people I could trust. Otherwise, no one needed to know. They would not understand. They wouldn't care. I managed it by myself. I mean, I wanted help and I had friends, but it came down to me. When I cried at night, I was the only one there. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back with Dr. Monica Coleman to unpack that statement and to learn more about bipolar faith. Truth's Table. Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation is a classic in the making, according to Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggett, author of Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration. New York Times bestselling author Dr. Jamar Tisby says that people often say, listen to Black women. Now at Truth's Table, you have your chance. 
We don't deserve the gift of this book, but once again, Black women have generously served us all. If we are to actually alleviate the immense burdens our sisters bear, then we must heed their words. T. Morgan Dixon, co-founder of Girl Trek, says this, There is a textured knowing in this book, a spiritual enlightenment, made brighter by the author's own personal breakthroughs. The way they describe the fabric of our collective trauma makes me trust their solutions. And Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, founder of Therapy for Black Girls, says that Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, shines a light on some of our most vulnerable places as Black women, leaving no stone unturned. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, is a clarion call to consider our communal truths by opening ourselves up to a deeper inner truth. By Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, wherever books are sold. See, I know that you get questions all the time about Bible study and how to study your Bible. What do you tell the people? Well, you know what? First of all, I'm excited that they want to study, right? But I also recognize that, you know, one of the things that really used to intimidate me about just studying scripture is that I would just, I would get overwhelmed with the text, right? And so one of the things I emphasize to people is to get yourself a a translation of the scripture that's easy for you to read, right? Because if it's easy for you to read, right, and there's accuracy as well, right, then you're going to enjoy reading it. You're going to be more likely to sit at the table and open up your Bible and do that. And the the Christian Standard Bible, for example, is easy to read, making it more likely for you and I to stick with our actual Bible reading. How about you? Well, yeah, you know, um, you're right about that. This The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, is a Bible translation for everyone, uh, wherever you are in your faith. And we know that people at the table are at different points in their faith and maybe even have some struggle opening up their word. And so the CSB's translation is for you, as this Bible has several editions and resources to help you along your journey of lifelong discipleship to Jesus, which is our goal here at Truth's Table. In addition, the CSB offers dozens of different editions to help readers engage with scripture in new and different ways. So if you're a journaling person, they got journaling by. Hey. If you are a meticulous study, if the studier, if you are a Berean, they got study Bibles. Hey, hey. Uh, they have commentary Bibles, just to name a few. There's an edition for everyone. So E, where can people go to get the Christian Standard Bible? They can go to csbible.com. But repeat it one more again. That's csbible.com. Y'all know here at Truth Table, we believe in getting in the word, which is why we are so happy to share this great deal with you from Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software is a powerful Bible study and sermon prep platform that allows you to study scripture and consult commentaries, devotionals, Bible dictionaries, and so much more, all from your computer, tablet, or phone. But maybe you've never heard of Bible software before. That's okay. Ain't no shame in the game. With Logos Bible Software, you can easily search and store books hundreds of thousands of them. In fact, every Logos book from commentaries to Bible studies, resources on Christian living, they are all contained within the Logos library. So when you search for a word or a theme or a verse, Logos pulls everything together for you, making research, learning and studying the word much easier and faster. 
So at this point, you're probably thinking, but do I really need it though, sis? The short answer is yes, particularly if you're one that teaches or you're a Bible study teacher or you're preaching, this resource will really help you. Logos Bible Software is an invaluable tool for anyone at any spiritual level that wants to go deeper in their studies. And Truth Table listeners can get Logos Bible Software with a 35% off discount when you order at logos.com slash truthstable. That's right. Truthstable listeners will save 35% off of Logos Bible software when you order at logos.com slash truthstable. Let's get in the word, y'all. So we are back and we have been uh, really learning and um, engaging in this conversation around this book that I highly recommend to y'all, Bipolar Faith, written by Dr. Monica Coleman. And so I left I left us with that quote, right, for us to kind of simmer with that quote a little bit. But for me, as I read it, I thought about the, the deep, deep loneliness of depression, even in a crowded house, in a crowded world, in a, in a cluttered world at times, even in a cluttered brain, this deep loneliness of depression is what stood out to me. But uh, as you as you heard me read that, what what came up for you? And those are your words. I was like, oh yeah. Well, I think what came up for me is I still feel that way a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Even though mm-hmm. I'm writing that in my about my childhood or yeah. adolescence, yeah. I think. Um, mm-hmm. And some of that's probably my kind of independent nature and being an only child. And some of mm-hmm. that is what depression does, right? It isolates. It makes you feel right. like no one understands you. Um, it it, you know, it, it, it lies to you, right? It messes with your mind. It makes you feel like you're all alone. Um, in some ways, one is, but in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you're not, right? That's so, right. and I think the not is stronger than the is, right? Um, of course, mm-hmm. you might be alone at, if you live alone, you might be alone if um, you're thinking, I can't call my therapist at two o'clock in the morning. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, they have boundaries mm-hmm. But yes, yes, yes. Um, but I find that it is isolation that makes everything so bad. It is silence that makes mm-hmm. everything so bad. And that breaking that silence and being in community, it doesn't solve all your problems, but it solves a lot of them, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. it is the support that that eases, you know. I think that kind of anguish. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that uh, there's a great deal of stigma, although in some spaces it is it is starting to lift through a lot of intentional um, advocacy work. Um, you know, thinking about the work of, you know, therapy for black girls and just many, many other organizations um, that are that are really trying to to lift that stigma, to push back on it. But certainly this combination of, of what it means to be uh, a black woman. And all of the the strength and um, and burden and stereotyping around that in terms of the strength of the the strong black woman and also a person of faith, um, the the stigmas uh, about being um, a Christian who uh, is working through issues of depression, where depression is a, a significant part of their story. Yeah. And so, t- talk to us a little bit about those two things and within your own mind, pushing back on that, the lies of depression, but that script, that stigma about what it means to be a black woman of faith um, and to be wrestling against depression. 
Right. I mean, I you said it, right? This image of the strong black woman is, it's a problem. <laughs> That's like, oh my God, it's a problem. And I came to very, pretty early on say, I don't want to be called strong. I want, because I feel like if you're calling me strong, you're not seeing me for me. And that's what that's you right. want, at least in your close relationships, is to be seen, right? Yeah. And to be understood. And sometimes I'm badass, but yeah. sometimes I'm not. <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, if you're the outer world, you only need to see the badass, Monica. But mm-hmm. people close to me should be able to see, you know, scared Monica, happy Monica, sad Monica, you know, all of the complexity of who I am. And I don't think that strong gets that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think it becomes kind of a false image to try to live up to that nobody can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, clearly one has to be capable and sometimes one has to get the job done. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're flawless or unfeeling in doing that. And that's how strong has come across, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a way of having to push back against that. Um, and I think that's something Black men to push back against, whether you're living with depression or not, right? To say, mm-hmm. like, no, it's important that you see me as multidimensional, right? Yeah. As, I mean, the Christian part is really harder because mm-hmm. there's so much bad theology out there. <laughs> and I'll say, I'm a theologian. Like, there's this, a lot of well, bad theology out there. For sure. And, you for know, sure. as a religious leader who has many friends who are religious leaders, I don't think people run around trying to say things that are going to be hurtful to others. I yeah. think people are either unreflective about the impact of what they say, or they really believe things that actually end up being hurtful to other people. Um, mm-hmm. I prefer unreflective because then we can reteach that. Um, but right. if you deeply right. believe certain things, then that's just going to be, you know, um, ostracizing really, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for other people. And I am glad that at least we're in a time when people say, well, if this is hurting me or if this is not freeing me, I can roll out. (laughs) I can Mm -hmm. find another community, Mm -hmm. uh, another Mm -hmm. place to worship. Um, But some people don't feel like they have choices like that because of all of the culture and the family and the things that are tied to the particular communities that they are in. And so when you have these stayings, like I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, like really? Mm -hmm. Um, because I can be blessed and flipping stressed out at the same time. Like, Listen, you know, the, like, you the, know, the, the, the paradoxes of the faith, there are many. Right. <laughs> you know, throw, I think when we kind of throw out these phrases unreflectively, like I'm blessed and highly favored. Does that mean that nothing is wrong in your life? Or you're not allowed to complain. Like, I hate that song. I won't complain. I'm like, no, I get to complain. <laughs> okay. Maybe not for 10 years, but at least for like a couple days. Right. Okay. So, and that doesn't mean that I'm not faithful. It doesn't mean I don't love God. It doesn't mean I'm not <laughs> in the community, but it does mean that sometimes things suck. And if I don't yeah. say anything about it, then I can't get any help in making it better. Right. If you mm-hmm. feel like you always have to stifle, or even worse, if you feel like, oh, I do feel these ways, mm-hmm. that must mean I didn't pray right. I'm not believing right. Because people who really pray right and believe right don't have problems. Mm. Mm. Right. And so that's just bad theology, but it's very common. Um, mm-hmm. All types of little phrases and songs that reinforce these things. Um, and, you know, I'm like, nah, people, that's not right. That's not it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I yeah. you know, I did a lot of education to push back on that and say there are plenty of ways to be faithful while still being very true to the experiences that you have. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So not, yeah, not needing to be in denial or wearing, wearing a mask, right. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, bringing our full selves and that includes our, our full struggles (laughs) to, uh, to to center stage, so to speak. You know, even when you mentioned, um, I won't complain, I thought, well, you know, that song even starts with a whole, a whole list of problems. And then it's like, but I won't complain. So it has an interesting way of trying to sneak it in there, but then, you know, to shift out of it. And I think there's a sense in which uh, many people can feel like they are, they are too much mm-hmm. um, that, uh, th- that whatever they're struggling with and that they're going through is just, is too much for others to attend to. As you talked about the lies of depression, I'd, I'd love to go back there a little bit to have you to put a little bit more, maybe more flesh on that for us. And I, it resonated with me when you said that phrase, the way that depression lies to us. And I wonder if you could call out some of those lies uh, for the listeners that I think they, they would resonate with. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does. And this is what's terrible about it, right? Is that it's like something within you that is lying to you about mm-hmm. what is real or what is true. So a lot of the lies are, you know, you're alone. No one loves mm-hmm. you. No one cares about you. Nobody is there for you. Mm. Um, it will never get better. These are the lies I hear. I don't know about other mm-hmm. people. These mm-hmm. are the lies I mm-hmm. hear and believe, you know, you mm-hmm. often, on often occasions. Um, you know, that there's not a place for you, that there won't be a community that understands you, mm-hmm. right? That you, there won't be people who understand you. Uh, it's always going to be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, of course, when you get to the lie of it's not worth being here, that's when you really got to tell somebody. Right. right. But right. I mean, I think that's that's part of the lie, too. Like everyone be better off without me. I'm a burden to people around me. Right. Mm-hmm. Which isn't true. Right. Because that's not how you feel about people you love. And so that's, that's right. not how people who love you would feel about you. That's but right. that's how it can kind of mess with you, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, why it's, you know, good to really, to you know, <clears throat> I think it's important to have a therapist or friends or community or somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, can on a regular basis, not just when you're desperate, you know, who can get you That's out right. of your own head. That's right. It, yet in so many cases, I think because of those internal lies and because of bad theologies and because of uh, this unwanted mantle of strong black woman, womanness, um, people will find themselves having to hit rock bottom before, um, they, they accept before they, um, allow themselves to have the type of care, um, that is due to them. And so even in your, in your own story, I want you to talk a little bit about that and you don't have to give a ton away, <laughs> but a little bit of your own story, your journey to being able to begin kind of uh, receiving and seeking additional support. Yeah, it took a long time, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and also I did have bits here and there, but it also took a really good clinician to be able mm-hmm. to give a good long view and understanding of what I was experiencing, right? Because um, if you're only seeing somebody here and there, a month here, a couple years later, another month or two here, right? It, it's like crisis management, not that's right treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took a really long time for me to say to really take my condition as seriously as I needed to. To say 
you are living with something that can take your ass out and you can't play with that. (laughs) And I did. I was like, oh, it's not that bad because Mm -hmm. I was functional. I could do things. You know, I got the necessary things done. I got to college. I, you know, kept it. I was never homeless. Right. You know, I, I had a number of basic things done. So I was like, I'm okay. I got this. No, Monica, you ain't got this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to really um, remember that what might be optional for other people are not optional for me. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm in therapy all the time or I'm on med- medication on the time, but it mm-hmm. does mean I'm checking in with somebody about important things all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, whoever that somebody is at whatever phase and that I listen to the people I trust when they tell me, okay, so now you're not really okay. Or you might think you're okay, but this is how you sound to me. Right. right. Um, If I trust them, I have to trust them and listen to them Mm -hmm. when they they ring the alarm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it did take a long time. Um, Some of that is because of how bipolar two works as well. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, most people who live with bipolar two are misdiagnosed and living mm-hmm. with unipolar depression because mm-hmm. we don't seek help for the other part. <laughs> we think that's fine. I still mm-hmm. think it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and if you move around like I did, I'm not seeing one person over time. And right. someone has to really ask the right questions for you to chronicle it back. And mm-hmm. this might be your experience as a therapist, but you know, the best therapists and psychiatrists don't take insurance. And Mm -hmm. I get it because it's a problematic insurance situation, Mm -hmm. um, problematic healthcare situation that's not um, let you have a living (laughs) as a therapist or psychiatrist the way you need to. Um, But the people who are often left in the $20 copay situation are just not the best people. I don't know why that is, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. somehow they are the people who are just reading the scripts. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whatever they've been taught, like I'm asked the 10 questions mm-hmm. and I'm medication and who aren't mm-hmm. looking deeper. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of privilege to get really mm-hmm. good care in this country um, yeah. or at least a lot of financial sacrifice. You got to give something else up <laughs> to to make that's that right. happen. And that's what I do. I give something else up to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But that's hard. You know, that's hard to do when you're young. When you aren't making a lot of money, if you don't have family support to say, yeah, I'm going to chuck out, you know, I don't know, anywhere between $150 and $300 per mm-hmm. whatever it is yeah. um, to, to maybe get the help I need, right? You know, to, to kiss a lot of frogs right. on the way to the prince. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's hard and it takes a lot of determination and it's hard to advocate for yourself when you feel bad. And that's so right. that's right. Um, I think it's not unusual to have a a challenging journey on your way to really getting some good help, especially Mm -hmm. if you can find a way to be functional. And I think a lot of black women do because you have to. It's not like, oh, I have a superpower. It's like, well, somebody's got to get up and feed the children. Somebody's got to go to work. And apparently I'm the only body here to do it. So it's not as much a I'm trying to be superwoman, but it's like there's nobody else to do it. And you know, I don't, I want to live indoors. I want my children mm-hmm. to go to school. Right. I mean, we're not talking about complicated things here. Right. Um, right. That, that makes people have to push through, you know, circumstances that are, that none of us really want to have to push through. I mean, how many of us would love to just get in bed under the covers for three days and be like, you know, I just need a break. I need to cry mm-hmm. a lot and, you know, check back with me, <laughs> you know, in 72 hours. 
right? And can somehow magically everything else happen, right? A lot of us don't have that mm-hmm. privilege. You have to work to that. You got to set up, you know, if I leave home, I got to do a lot to leave my house, right? I got to do right. a lot to check out. I got to <laughs> place and call people and pay people, right? That's like right. I can't That's just right. check out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's 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 interesting because, you know, um, the ways in which our strengths can also have along with them kind of what we people call kind of a shadow side. They can have, con- there can be consequences to our strengths, right? right. So someone who is, um, you know, incredibly thoughtful and bright and just within those kind of intellectual resources, look a whole lot better or sound a whole lot better than what they might be feeling. You know, you think about another black church expression of like, I don't look like what I've been through. It's right. also like, I don't, I don't, I don't you know, <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's, it's like, I don't look like how I'm actually feeling on the inside. And I think we can sometimes look at people uh, as I was, even as I was reading your book, someone who um, is incredibly bright and academically accomplished and think, well, of, of course, of course she's okay. Of course she's fine because she can because she can write this paper as if that's the standard of, men, of mental health, right? Um, and you know, and I and I think to your point about how you have had to make a real financial sacrifice to get the care that you need. If you're getting that care and seeking it out while you're hearing lies of depression that might say like, you know, what's wrong with you? You're fine. Shake it off. Uh, but to overpower that, to be persistent and say, I, I'm still going to move forward. And also the examples that you gave about it, how in your experience, it seems like some of the therapists who kind of line up with the insurance simple copay model um, may not have the depth of, of experience or skill. And I, and I would add artistry yeah. of clinicians that really are listening diagnostically, but, but the story that makes up a person um, really kind of they're being forced to kind of pull people into a box, yeah. this very kind of standardized Western way of 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 giving care and seeking right. care, and you highlight that in your book as well um, about, about about what it means to have uh, these these uh, systems of of mental so called mental wellness right. given to you uh, that have been kind of tried on other populations of people, but it's like, hey, we're gonna one size fits all you when you are a unique individual from a right. unique cultural background. Too. So talk a little bit about that, that tension of that one size fits all model and really uh, pushing back on that in, in your own, your own care. Well, it's easy to give up on. I mean, it's easy to be like, you know, that's not going to work for me. I'm done. Right. Um, and I definitely had a couple moments where like, well, I'm walking out of here, but I had mm-hmm. nothing to walk into. I was just walking out. <laughs> of a that's place right. That's right. Like. You know, so there were times when, you know, you're in that you know, HMO situation, they were given 15 minutes and they're like, you have to be on medication the rest of your life. I'm like, you don't even know me, right? <laughs> you haven't even talked to me. Like, how are you right. going to tell me what I could do the rest of my life? Right. Wow. So there's still like indignant black woman, even if I'm not well, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that part didn't go away. Very um, reasonable. <laughs> right. But also for me, it was really intervention, right? At yeah. some point, someone had to be like, you are not okay. You are crying in the middle of the day. Like, you know, if I look at some of the pictures from that time, I lost a lot of weight. You know, I just mm-hmm. wasn't eating. And so to be like, you look mm-hmm. horrible, right? So yeah, you're still going to class and getting your work done. But yeah, you know, I can see that something's not right. And yeah. I am going to help you, right? That's so right. it took, you know, not always people who are friends, sometimes just coworkers being like, 
let's see what we can do because you are not all right. So I think ultimately you need other people to advocate for you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's right. Really hard places mm-hmm. um, because you can't do it for yourself. You just cannot. If you could, then you wouldn't, you know, then you wouldn't be where you are. Yeah. So, and I think that's to me always a call to people who don't live with depressive conditions. Like, pay attention mm-hmm. to your friends. Look at them. That's right. That's co-workers. right. You know, just be like, how are you really? You know, or I know somebody mm-hmm. who you might be able to talk to. It doesn't, it didn't take much. Like some of these people I've never talked to again, who just pointed me in the right direction. Right. And that end up changing the course of my health and my life. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are other times when you just kind of got to figure it out yourself. right? <laughs> Where, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't even know if I was conscious, I was figuring it out. But there were times when, you know, having community, having church, dancing or singing, like those are the things yes. that held me together. It was not, you know, the every other week with a therapist. That's important and it's helpful, but that's that right. doesn't help you every day. Like you still that's need right. something that, mm-hmm. you know, grounds you. And whether for me, that's faith and spirituality mm-hmm. um, and reminds you like, this is who you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Remember well, how it, that show, but being Mary Jane, how she had those little post-its all over her mirror. Yes, right. Yes, like whatever yes. it takes to be like, this is who you really are. That's right. The kind of, well, reprogramming the brain, Re- right. <laughs> reprogramming the brain, countering, countering uh, those kind of cognitive lies. Um, and, you know, and, and really when we think about what, you know, the mind of Christ, like it's a kind of a repro- <laughs> reprogramming our, our thoughts to the extent that we can and still being gracious to ourselves, knowing that we are having an experience that's not just about, you know, we can't just muster ourselves up. Um, and pull ourselves up by our kind of mental bootstraps to fix it so that right. we then also don't take on the guilt of not being able to make ourselves better. So uh, really helpful insights. So Dr. Monica, I want to give you this time to talk to the listener mm-hmm. who is hearing your story and is hearing it in tears um, because it is it is their story or mm-hmm. it's some their mother's story or it's their their daughter's story. Uh, they are resonating with it, and I want you to offer to them uh, encouragement uh, or even rebuke, however you want to roll, whatever whatever you feel, <laughs> whatever you think. Yourself. I'm not That's saying. Right. Um, right. I mean, I would say the hard part is not the end of your story. You know, it's just a hard part of your story. Um, but it's, if you're still here, it's not the end of your story. Mm-hmm. And it is important to like get yourself out of places that are undermining your wellness, that are mm-hmm. undermining your fate. You know, even if you don't know where you're going to go next, don't stay there. Right? Um, if that is a job, if that is a relationship, if that is a church, um, if it is making everything mm-hmm. worse, then that's not where you're supposed to be. And wherever you are supposed to be will be revealed, I believe, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly if you're looking for it. Right. If you you know, I think there is easier now than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago um, to to access therapy, to access even, you know, good self-help books will get you will get you somewhere more than not to access, you know, podcasts like yours. Um, that are a step in the right direction. You know, also don't be afraid of therapy. It's like dating. You know, it is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're right. You you have to like, this is what I need in a therapist. Are you that? Can we make this work? And when you Mm -hmm. do, you know, because I always say the only way you're going to find somebody 
whose only interest is your well-being is to pay mm-hmm. them, right? Everybody else mm-hmm. in your life, no matter how much they love you, their, their own ideas are entangled with how they feel about you. And that's just human. There's nothing wrong that's with right. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you need someone whose only job is to care about how you're doing, then you need a therapist. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've had great therapists. I've had some crappy ones, but I've had really, really good therapists as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'm in therapy every week and sometimes I'm like, ah, let's just check in next year. Right. But uh, somebody who knows you and is going to say, hey, this is what I well, this is what I'm seeing and this is how I can help you to be the best you that you can be and can give you strategies for how to live in the meanwhile, right? This is not to be a for, it's not meant to be a forever thing, right? It, it's right. Um, meant to be how can we help you and give you the tools that you need um, to, to live out who God wants you to be and who you want to be yourself. Um, so those are my words and, you know, buy the book. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Let 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 me let me echo that plug for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for all of our listeners, I would really encourage you to pick this book up, and and there's some different reasons why. <laughs> uh, if you are uh, clergy, if you are in some some type of formal or informal pastoral care, uh, this book offers, I think, a great deal of wisdom. I also think that if you are you yourself um, are working through uh, your own kind of mental health related um, conditions. There is a sense in which there is a a shared journey here being extended to you. Um, For those of us who are part of families that have, have their story (laughs) slash secrets. (laughs) I think this book also is, it reminded me in kind of family therapy talk, kind of like a like a geneogram that has come to life, you know, of a family tree that's come to life. And, and in it, I think even if this is not your story, because obviously it's, it's Dr. Coleman's story, it will help you. It'll lift up a mirror to you to further investigate and explore your own family story and where you fit in that. And at bottom, it's also a story that has hope, but not cheesy and kind of fake, <laughs> trite, pithy hope sl- slogans that we have rebuked today, um, but a real tangible hope that your story is not over. So again, I'm trying to sell it hard. Y'all check out Bipolar mm-hmm. Faith, A Black Woman's Journey from Depression and Faith, written by Dr. Monica Coleman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I add one for- thing? Yeah, go Two. for it. Okay. Um, if you want a little something extra, I have a, I call it a Bipolar Faith Bundle. And it actually has an interactive workbook in it. And it has oh, wow. me in conversation with Candace Binbo and with a clinical psychologist, Nyasha Grayman. So you can also catch that. And you can definitely just go to monicaacoleman.com backslash bipolar faith bundle. Thank you so much, so much. And so it's been our pleasure to host you today. And so everyone, thanks for checking out this episode. Let us know what you think about it. You know what to do with the hashtags and all that stuff. I am sure you're going to have a conversation that uh, stirs up after listening to this one. Take care. We want to thank you for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about this episode using the hashtag TruthsTable. Black women, did y'all know that we have a Facebook group, Black Women's Discipleship Facebook group to be exact? Well, now you know. Make sure to follow Truth Table on Facebook and join our Facebook group today. Invite your girlfriends. Tell them all about it. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at info at truthstable.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account. 
So you can send your love offerings to patreon.com backslash truth table, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me backslash truth table. Truth table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.